Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We are in the middle of a series called Wholehearted. And uh, we've been learning about what it is to have a whole heart, how to get a whole heart, how to be wholehearted in the way that we live our lives. Today, we are continuing with the series and we are looking at the idea of being wholehearted when it comes to worship. And I'm pretty excited because I really feel like God wants to meet with us. He has been meeting with us, but He really wants to meet with us in terms of this area of worship and even in the area of pride. And so, Lord, I pray today as we, uh, as we hear Your Word, Lord, please would You speak loudly to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord. Pray, God, that you would help us to come humbly and walk humbly before you, Lord, and to give you our whole hearts, Lord, in the way that we live, whether it's our life of worship, God, or whether it's worship on a Sunday, whether it's whatever type of worship, God, would you show us what it is to be temples of your spirit, Lord God, and fill us with joy as we understand your great kindness to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are big football fans? Anyone big football fans? Only a few, eh? Wow, I thought this was the land of football, you know? You guys are just don't want to put your hand up. Maybe you love cricket, maybe it's rugby, maybe it's another kind of a sport. I want to begin today and talk about the FA Cup. Everyone know what the FA Cup is? The Football Association Cup? It's a cup that gets played for every year and every team in England gets the chance to play for it. That's what it looks like. What do you think? It's a trophy, isn't it? Eh? <laughs> but let me tell you, people get super excited about this trophy. And I want to show you a few pictures just to illustrate that this morning. Arsenal won it again, unfortunately, this year. But generally what happens is when a team wins something like the FA Cup, they have what's called a victory parade. And I want to show you a few photos of this victory parade. Here the teams are, or the team is, and it's management on a couple of buses, traveling through particular parts of London. It's fair to say that there are a lot of people who are pretty excited about the fact that their team has won this tin cup. Amen. Check them out. Hands raised, photos, look, celebrating the team, reveling uh, with the cup in their hands. It's a real highlight for them. Look at this picture. Outside the Emirates Stadium, Looks like worship to me. What do you think? People jumping up and down, hands raised, all pointed in one direction. Hey, do you think that's worship? I think it is. I think it's worship. But I think people are pointed at the wrong trophy. Amen? I want you to see that worship happens in our everyday lives. Right? And I think this is how God wants us to worship. Not worship this subject, but look. Look at what's happening. There they all are. Thousands of people gathered to receive the team and to see them with the trophy. A momentous occasion for them. A time for revelry and celebration, happiness and joy. Have you ever been to a football match or another sporting event and you just get caught up in the atmosphere? It's awesome, isn't it? A fantastic place to be celebrating and being part of what's going on. 
Well, I want us to look at um, another victory parade today. Uh, I want you to connect with this idea, and then I want us to transition and look at a different victory parade today, uh, one that is led by King David in the, in the Bible, in the book of Samuel, where 2 Samuel chapter 6 we'll be looking at, um, a procession, a parade, where they are carrying their own trophy into Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to look at that today. We're going to, um, we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. We're going to look at how they worshipped. We're going to look at why they worshipped so passionately. And I'm really hoping that's going to help us to connect with a great reason to worship God today. You know, um, We're going to ask God to unlock wholehearted worship in us. Amen. We're going to ask him to unlock our hearts. And we're going to look at, I believe, the biggest hurdle to wholehearted worship. And I'm praying so hard that it's an opportunity that you and I can both take to get our hearts right before the Lord. And move on. And move on. And not still keep falling at this hurdle which trips us up. So there's a bit of a back story about the ark that I want us to talk about today. Um, the ark kind of comes into effect in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. God speaks to Moses and he says uh, to Moses, talking about the people, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. This was a momentous time because God was actually saying through Moses to the people, guys, I'm going to come and I'm going to live amongst you. My chosen, I'm going to be here. With you. I'm not going to be out there. I'm going to be here with you. Build a tent and you can look. It is intricate and it's ornate and the specifications are very clear of how this tent is supposed to be set up. But in a part of the tent, they're called to build this wooden chest uh, wrapped in gold with certain elements to it called the ark. Okay? The ark. We've got a picture of it up there. There it is. Kind of a, a, a rendering of what it could be like. This chest, inside the chest were the stone tablets where God gave the covenant promises and law to Moses. Um, and it had these cherubim on the top with their arms outstretched into the middle. The significant thing that I want you to understand as you look at this picture today was that the glory of God was enthroned where those wings stretched out. I mean... You know where they talk about the fire and the smoke kind of going before the Israelites? Kind of the glory of God was resting in this specific place over that ark. That's where he lived. That made that piece of furniture in the sanctuary very, very precious to the Israelite people. Their God, their awesome God, his glory, the weight of his glory rested there. It was like a trophy for them in the best possible sense, like our God is with us. He is here with us. So the Israelites go to battle a little bit later on and they carry the ark out to battle as if to say, for whatever reason, let's just leave it like that. And they get defeated by the Philistines, and the Philistines carry this precious 
piece of furniture from the sanctuary with God's glory resting on it. They carry it away to Philistine. Now this was massive, massive for the Israelite people. God's presence removed from their midst and carried away by their enemies. Eli's sons were involved and they got killed in the battle and his daughter-in-law or someone came and spoke to Eli and told him about the fact that his sons had died, that the ark had been captured and Eli was so devastated. The Bible says he fell off of the, the seat where he was and he broke his neck and he died. His daughter-in-law was in the middle of giving birth. She ultimately died through the childbirth. But she says these significant words in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 22. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Our God, His glory has been removed from our midst. I don't know if that means the same to you because we live in a different time now but I want you to imagine imagine your God and his place of abode removed when we talk about the word glory we talk about honor and splendor and abundance we talk about the weight of his presence there was nothing more important to the Israelites. And so what happens? The Philistines carry the ark off to a place called Ashdod and they put it next to, in a temple, to, uh, what they call Dagon's temple. He was a fertility god. They took the ark and they put it in his temple next to this stone idol. And in the morning when they come into the temple, Dagon has fallen off of his perch and he's lying face down on the ground. And so they pick him up, they're God, they pick him up and put him on his perch and off they go. Come back the next day, he's fallen off again. But his hands have broken off and his head has broken off. Hey? I want you to understand here a little bit about what it means to have the glory of God resting on this ark. God was not happy. And he will not sit in the presence of other idols. Understand it right now. Let's lock that away. Idols fall in the face, on their faces, before the one true God. Okay? Um, at the same time, God's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod, and they all started to come out in tumors. And they realized, man, this ark business, <laughs> this is not for us. And so they move it on. They move it on to Gaza. They move it on to Ashkelon. They move it on to Gath. They move it on to Ekron. And everywhere they move the ark, God's heavy hand is upon the Philistine people. And they break out in tumors. It's not long before they realize, we need to get rid of the ark. It doesn't belong here. It's not a trophy that we want to keep around. Amen. And so they build a cart and they put the ark on it with like an offering of, I'm sorry for what we did. And they kind of say, let's let the ark go with these two untrained oxen and let's watch. If it wanders off this way, then we'll know it wasn't the hand of God. But if it wanders this way to this particular town, we will know the heavy hand of God has been upon us. Guess what happens? The ark on the cart and the oxen just walk off on the journey, they follow it to a place called Beth Shemesh. And they realized this was God in our midst. 
Okay? They watched it go. It stayed there for a little while. Unfortunately, some of the people there opened the ark to look inside and 70 of them died because God said no one should put a hand on this ark. No one should touch. This is the presence, the glory of God. Amen. No human is to touch. You know, when you look at how the, the, the high priests were called to come into the Holy of Holies, boy, there was not supposed to be any sin in your life. I was talking with, um, with Tillman earlier on about the fact that when the high priest went in, there was a rope tied around his foot. Because if he wasn't right with the Lord, he'd fall down dead and they'd have to pull him out. This thing, this created object, had the presence of God upon it and it was not a profane thing it was a holy thing um, the ark gets moved again to Kiriath Jerim where it lives for 20 years in Abinadab's house uh, and then the story moves on um, Samuel leads the Israelites and they win back loads of territories from the Philistines we're going quickly through history right here uh, we get to the point in the story um, where Israel cries out to God for a king yes and, king, and Saul is made king. Uh, fast forward the story loads now and David becomes king. Greg's been talking a lot about David and his interaction with Saul through that time. Now David takes over and in, the, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David conquers the Jebusites and wins back Jerusalem. And in chapter 6, we get the story that we're going to read today where David is bringing the prized possession of his people, the glory of God resting on the ark, to their hometown, to the place where it belongs, to the center of Israel. And they are pretty pumped about this opportunity. So if you will, read with me from... Uh, well, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. It's a fair amount. We're gonna, I'm going to comment on it as we go along, actually. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're reading from verse 1. Uh, do you remember the picture of those few thousand Arsenal fans gathered around. So David goes to get the ark, and it says in verse 1, again, uh, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 men David took as part of his victory parade to go and collect the ark. He and his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned be between the cherubim on the ark, as I was saying earlier. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Now it's important to know that wasn't what God wanted. God actually got them to create the ark so it could be carried on two poles. So they erred here in their best of intentions. Okay? They set the ark of God on a new cart and they brought it from the, uh, the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadad, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. Now listen please. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might. Everyone say, all of their might. All of their might. Alright, we'll look at that word might just now and we'll also look at the word celebrate. So they were celebrating with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. All sorts of instruments. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. 
and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Remember, the ark wasn't supposed to be on a cart. Okay, So there was a bit of disobedience going on there already, even though the intention was good. He reached out and he took hold of the ark um, and the Lord's anger burnt against him because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. That's a bit of a downer right there. When you are all full of the joys, walking in procession, celebrating, someone with good intention reaches out, touches the ark and drops down dead. You can imagine David was fairly surprised. He was angry actually because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Amen. We shouldn't become over-familiar with the Lord. You know? Um, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? If this kind of thing happens, you know? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, who was part of the tribe who were called, the Levites called, to do the act of you know, dealing with the ark and the priests. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. Listen to this. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. The presence of God... This is what the presence of God should mean for us. The presence of God is no light thing because it is His awesome abundance and blessing in our midst. Obed-Edom's house, everything in his house, the people, his businesses, they all flourished and were blessed because of the presence of God in his midst. Now I want you to start to realize how we should desire the presence of God. We were singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. This is what we're singing about. The glory of God, this kind of glory that they experienced over the ark in their lives, blessing them. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When they arose, well, sorry, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps. Imagine now. There's no complacency now. They're doing this the right way. They're doing it the right way. Um... And then this is beautiful. Wearing a linen ephod. We'll talk about that later. David was dancing. He wasn't going. You know, like most of us might worship on a Sunday. If we're lucky, we might tap our toes. That's okay, actually, by the way. It's better than standing there like a board. Um, he was whirling around, spinning in this linen ephod, which is not a kingly garment, by the way, before the Lord with all his might. Now, when we talk about wholehearted worship, I think this is a beautiful definition. With all of our might. Wow. Are you an all of your might worshipper? You know, it's proportional to your might. I love that. It's like giving. You know, give as God leads you to give. It's not prescriptive. 
but it's with all of our might. All of our might, he's celebrating. Now that word might is not just meaning, oh, my physical strength. I want you to understand, it talks about ability, it talks about capacity, it talks about strength, both material, sorry, both material and physical, personal, social and political. That's fairly broad. All of our might worship. Are you getting the picture? Not just dancing on a Sunday and clapping our hands, but with everything that we are in every area of our lives, who we are, worshiping wholeheartedly for the Lord. So let's move on. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Shouting is biblical worship. If you're not used to it, and you've never experienced it before, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means many people have been missing out. Amen? We can shout for our football team. That's worship, folks. That's people worshiping, but just pointing in the wrong direction. Okay? Uh, they brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people. I just want you to get the scale right here. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then, listen, he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Remember, I'd said before that David took 15,000 able men with him. As they come in, I'm sure that there are thousands more other people gathered around. Just get the scale. He gives a cake of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person. This was a big deal. This wasn't just a little potluck, bring and share lunch. This was whole scale worship, celebration, and a sign of God's blessing and, 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 and provision. Uh, we go on in uh, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, this is now we're starting to get into the meat of this. Michal, or Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. You need to hear the sarcasm in her voice, by the way. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girl's of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Oh, I say, that's not it. We can have that attitude. And you probably do it a lot more than you think, actually. And my prayer today, Lord, help me see my pride. Help me see every degree of pride in my life. Because pride is a killer. We'll discover a bit more about that. David said to Michal, listen carefully to this. It was before the Lord, my audience of one, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become more 
undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor by them. And it says, and I reckon the word should be there, therefore, and therefore, Michael or Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So let me contrast these two people as we come to a conclusion today. David and Michal. Let's look at their worship. Let's learn from them today. Let's learn what it means to be wholehearted in our worship. I'd like to show a picture of the Queen if I can. Looking very regal, isn't she? We love the Queen. That's how Queens dress. Amen? You're not going to catch her out in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. That's not becoming of the Queen. I'm trying to make a point, by the way. That is how David, in the eyes of Michal, should have been dressed. The conquering king, bringing back the Ark of the Lord to the seat, the center of Israel. What was he wearing? Let's go to the next one. Something like that. A priestly garment. Not, mind I say, the garment of a high priest, but any regular priest. A linen ephod. Just material, I guess, like what I'm wearing in my shirt today. Dancing. In a very unbecoming way, let me say. For a king. <laughs> hey? Like some vulgar fellow. Some common person. That's how the common people act. Michael comes to him and she undresses him with her words and tears chips off of him. <laughs> Do you get it? You're probably feeling uncomfortable. Amen. If you're like me. Oh, I think we've got so much to learn, folks. I want everyone to see the pride at work in our lives. You know, David was making a deliberate statement by wearing that garment. He was deferring all the glory and all the attention to God. He was just an ordinary fellow. You know, like Greg likes to talk about, two beggars on a street counting holes in their garments. That's all he was. He realized, hey, I'm the king, but there's only one king. Who's the king of your life? Who's the king of your life? It's a heart issue. When we worship, we worship with an audience of one person. Whether it's in secret, whether it's in public, our eyes are never on who's around us. Our, our, our hearts are not fixed on what they think about us. Our hearts are not fixed on our reputation and our stature. That's not worship. That's pride. Pride. Everyone say pride. I was driving in the car this morning and I can remember having a conversation where we were at a life group and we were talking about, you know, there's a good pride and then there's a bad pride. And I'm just beginning to think there's no good pride. Everything good in our lives, everything good that happens, everything good that we might do is not about us. It's about God. 
<laughs> Everything good in your life and my life is as a result of Him. He might give you the ability, but it's still His ability in you. You might be great at doing stuff. You might be a great speaker. You might be a great footballer. You might be wealthy. You, you might just make the mistake of thinking, Oh, I'm quite clever, aren't I? Look, look at me. Look at my life. I'm imagining Michael McIntyre here. I feel a bit like him. But everything is as a result of the goodness of God. How do you feel about David's phrase when he says, I will become even more undignified? That for me is worshipping with all of our might. Stripping away. Oh man, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't know about you. I've got a lot to learn. Stripping it all away. So let's move on to Michael, Mikhail. She is spying David from a high window, from an elevated position. That's what pride is. Hey? She despises David. She has distaste and disgust in her heart for what he's doing. That's pride rising up high in her life. <coughs> pride is wholehearted worship of myself. Pride is worship of myself. That's an idol. That idol needs to fall on its face like Dagon. Pride must come down before we can experience the fullness of God. Pride is the obstacle that will prevent us reaching where God wants us to go. And God illustrates this for us really tragically in the life of this woman. Because of her heart attitude, she physically lived barren for the rest of her life. I want you to understand that pride leads to spiritual barrenness. Pride will hold you back. Pride will hold you down. Pride will keep you from all the good that God has for you. Humble worship of the Lord, undignified worship of the Lord is what's going to take you where you want to go. Humility leads to fruitfulness and fulfillment. I want to read you the last words of David in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Five verses. It says, these are the last words of David. Listen, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Jacob the hero of Israel's songs. This is his reputation. Listen. This is how he's held in regard. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise. On a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. It's so refreshing. David says, If my house 
were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. Wow. At the end of your life, wouldn't you love to be able to speak like that? I've had the richest, most fulfilled, most privileged, most wonderful of lives. God has arranged every detail. He's brought it to pass. I'm blessed. But David reflects back, if my house, if my heart was not right before God, surely this would not have happened in my life. You know, the FA Cup competition at the end of every season, it resets. All of that effort, all of that glory, gone. Trophy, out of your trophy cabinet, back to the football association where it lives. And we all start again. Right? I want you to know today that you have become the trophy of God's grace. God's glory doesn't live on that ark anymore. He lives in you, inside you. You are his trophy, his presence at rest in you. The Bible says in 1 John 1.14 that the word became flesh. Jesus came and he lived among us in the flesh, a step on from just being enthroned on the ark. And then in Corinthians it tells us, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple? That word temple is the same word that describes that room in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, where one priest could go once a year and he better have his heart right or he's going to die there. You are that place. God lives in you. What a reason to party. Amen. Go and think about it. It's life changing. Wholehearted, undignified worship is the only appropriate way to respond. I'm going to say it again. Wholehearted, undignified worship is the only way to respond to what God has done. Everything else, I don't know. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.